Hey guys, it's Fashan and welcome back to the Dope Black Women podcast. I am really excited about this episode as I'm going to be speaking to sisters Natalie and Naomi Evans, who are the founders of the Everyday Racism platform and the authors of the brand new book called The Mixed Race Experience, which is out now. Okay guys, so if you're listening, I need you to write that down at the end of this episode, go and buy the book. So the book delved into the themes around identity and belonging, and that's basically what we're going to be doing on the podcast today. So Naomi and Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Oh, hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. So something we always ask all of our guests is what makes you a dope black woman? Um, It's a bit of a loaded question, (laughs) but it's a good opportunity for you to celebrate yourselves. Um, And I think it will be useful with this episode as well. If when you do it, you just start by saying your name so people listening kind of know who's speaking. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I'm Natalie. um, And what makes me a dope black woman? (laughs) Um, I think my one is my independence. I've always um, been quite an independent, like, individual, um, like, done things by myself traveled the world when I was quite young um just really kind of yeah gone for it and I think that part of that is just yeah because I'm proud of who I am who I identify as and I think yeah that makes me a dope black woman amazing (laughs) what about you Uh, so this is Naomi um I think probably my ability to be able to communicate and push forward change and drive change in people I guess um a lot of my like activism that I do I attribute to like my history I suppose and and what I've inherited from my ancestors and so yeah think that's what makes me a dope black woman oh yours is so much better than mine <laughs> no, well, I think dope black, don't they because what what Naomi was saying similarly you do as well with the work with your platform everyday racism and also now with your brand new book the mixed race experience so it's, it's both of your uh, your accolades shining through <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of everyday racism I know that you started it you started the platform would you call it a platform Yeah, but we also, I guess we're set up as an organisation because we do other things outside of Instagram. So we do like a lot of anti-racism work within schools. We do training courses, book clubs, you know, all that sort of thing. So, Mm -hmm. but we usually say, you know, the Everyday Racism platform. Okay, brilliant. So speaking of the Everyday Racism platform then, I know that it started because of an incident that involved yourself, Natalie, with a viral video that I rewatched this morning. And actually, I remember it at that time. So for people who have no idea what I'm talking about, Natalie, can you explain what happened in the video? And then afterwards, Naomi, can you talk about how you then grew the platform to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. So yeah, it was kind of at the end of um, 2019, I was um, on a train coming back from London to um, Margate. So we live in Margate in Kent. Um, And it was a really like, busy train and, um, you know, it was quite hard to like find seats and stuff. And I sat down and um, we kind of took off. And then when we got 
to the next station, these two white guys came on, but they were really drunk. And I remember just thinking, oh, God, like, I just want a really, like, easy train journey home. It's been such a long day. Um, and I was, like, listening to a podcast and the um, train conductor, like, came down uh, the aisle behind me like asking for tickets and when I looked up he was a black man and it's this something that I state in the book because we grew up in a very white majority town it was very it's very rare to see like black and brown people around you and like especially the train like going back home so I was like oh hey you know like <laughs> oh it's, it's another another guy you know and um so but then he asked me for my train ticket and then as he kind of carried on I remember just thinking I need to probably not put my headphones back in because I just have this feeling that something is going to happen with these guys like I just could just feel it and I'm really pleased I didn't because this altercation happened and I actually got my phone out and recorded it and it was um essentially um a racist incident where the the train conductor said to the guys you know have you got your train ticket and they sort of responded with well have you got an effing passport to get into the country and it kind of kicked off from there um and they sort of this sort of altercation carried on and I was recording and then they sort of said then when the train conductor said to him oh you know what you've said is racist that he the one of the white guys responded with well I can't be racist because I've got mixed race children and I was like oh god so that's when I stood up and said like actually no this is not okay this is like it is racist called them out and it actually ended with them apologizing which is quite rare um but I I had this video for a while because I was I was I recorded it for the police that was really the purpose but nothing happened and then sort of in 2020 at the beginning of the year 2020 obviously there was continuous murders going on in America and the murder of Ahmad Aubrey had happened and a lot of my friends and family who are white were saying oh it's so bad like what's going on in America you know it's so good this doesn't happen here and I'm like what like people really still you know have this narrative of oh it's overseas it doesn't you know we're we're very innocent here in the UK so I had this video and I thought well do you know what I'm just going to share it with my close friends and family to sort of say well this actually happened like literally three months ago and then it just it just did the thing on social media where it got picked up, it went viral. Um, and I think it was seen by like over a million people or something. And then, I, then from that, that's when I sort of, me and they were chatting and we'd, we'd had the idea of everyday racism prior. We were kind of like, wouldn't it be really good to have a platform where black and brown people can talk about their experiences of racism specifically in the UK, but wasn't really sure what that looked like. And then after that video, I think we were like, well, let's, I think it's now time, let's set up an Instagram page and that sort of. Yeah, I was, um, when Natalie released the video, we were living together and I like walked into her bedroom and she was just like reading all the comments and Again, it was that thing of um, from a lot of white people. Oh, I can't believe this. This is terrible. And we were just like, are you joking? Like this is, you know, this is stuff that just happens to everyone on a daily basis. Um, And yeah, so we decided to start the platform. And originally it was 
literally asking people if they want to share their stories because I think sometimes you these things happen and you might talk about them with your friends or people that you know will get it but then like it doesn't go anywhere and so we thought well if we just shared some of these stories maybe people would start to realize actually what happens to people in their everyday life so it started like that and then of course the murder of George Floyd um happened and things just started to kind of the conversation just blew up really and we saw a lot of conversations happening that were problematic and we decided to start sharing more of our own thoughts and creating sort of signposts to books and educational resources so it's really kind of developed into more of an educational um platform And from there, we have um, created an anti-racism training course. Um, We've created a school-specific course because I'm a teacher and Natalie has always worked with young people. And again, that's an area where people are really lacking kind of the literacy in terms of anti-racism. So, um, yeah, it really kind of has uh, snowballed over the last couple of years. I just want to take this moment to say that I think your platform is um, genuinely amazing. It's really, really great. And that's part of the reason why when we joined the school before we started recording, I was like, I'm so excited to have this conversation because I think you're not two people who have just written a book about being mixed race. You're two people who are actually actively doing the work. Um, And I know what it's like being on Dope Black Women and the platform that we have that sometimes sharing our story and also being a, or creating a space that allows people to share theirs can almost be re-triggering in itself yeah. and it's not always like just oh I've been a post on Instagram today <laughs> sometimes it's like wow this is what someone's going through or yeah no, this just takes me back to when I went through like this experience or that experience so I just wanted to commend you for that because the space that you've created is really important thank um, you but something you mentioned a minute ago which is something that I've actually spoken about on the podcast before is that you you grow up in and you currently live in a white majority area Mm. so I just want you to kind of go back to when you were younger um maybe when you was in secondary school and kind of talk about what it was like being young and mixed race in a white majority area yeah Mm. um I mean we do a whole chapter on it in the book because I think it's something that the nuance of people's lived experience is perhaps not picked up on because it's very, very different growing up as a black or brown person in a multicultural area as opposed to growing up as a black or brown person in a white majority area. And I think we perhaps don't explore that nuance enough and the impact that it can have on people. Um, So, yeah, we went to different secondary schools um, Uh, But we both were very much in the minority. And I guess we kind of went down different paths. I went to like a selective school um, where it was kind of modelled on the kind of private school education, um, you know, very formal, very academic. Um, And I really kind of strive to be, um, you know, as as close to whiteness really as I could be because for me as a young person whiteness meant success 
um, you know, certain codes and traits that are associated with whiteness, I wanted to be a part of that. And also because it was easier, because it it felt like it would be easier to just assimilate and be a part of things rather than being my kind of true self. And that shows up in different ways, perhaps through the way you speak, um, the way that you dress, the way you do your hair, um, the things that you talk about, you know. And so for me, it's taken quite a long time to recognise that that's what was going on and to unlearn and undo some of those things, which ultimately are quite damaging. Um, I think it was slightly different for you, Natalie. It was different for me. I went to a completely different school where it was not academic as well. Obviously, (laughs) we had to do education, but I I was not academic. I, yeah, wasn't got into a lot of trouble and yeah um but I think for me I really embrace my um Jamaican heritage so I was always I remembered like wanting everyone to know that I was like half Jamaican and my dad lived in Jamaica and I was like really really proud of of that side not to say that you weren't Nay, but I think I wasn't as fussed about like the sort of assimilating to whiteness apart from I think it manifested with my hair Mm. for sure like I only probably the last 10 years of worn my hair natural but I think in secondary school I would always straighten my hair and wore weaves because it was and I think that was mainly because everyone would touch my hair so I was just so I that's why I wanted to just straighten it because yeah then people it wasn't wouldn't... Be, I I think for you we've had different hair journeys but for you you wanted to wear your hair yeah. and I remember like you would you wore your hair in an afro once yeah. you combed it all out and after a couple of days you just went back because you were so fed up yeah of the response that you got yeah exactly because what was ev- the responses that you was getting at the time and who was it from as well oh like anyone and everyone like I'm not joking like family friends everyone but it was always touching my hair always putting your hands in my hair making comments comments. asking questions incessantly yeah it was always like oh your hair oh your hair's like candy floss oh I wish I had your hair it's so beautiful you know and and that sounds great because it's like oh it's really lovely compliments but the fact is like people just completely overstep my boundaries you know you don't just go up and just touch someone like it just is so inappropriate but they just felt like they had this sort of ownership over me um but also no sense of like appropriate timing either so you're getting the questions but it's not just from one or two people it's from everybody you meet they yeah. want to ask Which you. I imagine would be quite overwhelming at the yes. time as well. Actually. Yeah, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah. And when you're a young person, it's horrible because you're still trying to like work out who you are. I wasn't very confident. Like I didn't really like just speaking randomly to people. So it was just a really horrible experience. So I think for me, that is why, yeah, I decided to straighten my hair. But I think I was just so up for everyone knowing but yeah, it was interesting. We definitely had completely different journeys, I think, growing up. But how do you think that experience shows up in the adult versions of you today? Oh, that's such a good question. 
I think we've acknowledged a lot of what mm. has happened over the last few years. We're lucky we've got each other to talk to. Mm. So we've been able to process a lot. We've both done therapy as well. And I think, um, you know, we've managed to recognize what was going on so that even if we haven't totally, you know, sussed everything, we have been able to acknowledge where that behavior has manifested. Um, so I think now we're in like a much healthier place. Mm, yeah. um, and that's really why we wanted to write the book, because we hope that what we've been through can perhaps help other people. Um I think as well, like, because now we're much more comfortable in our identity, mm. it has enabled us to be able to do the things that we're doing now um, in terms of, like, the anti-racism work and the, um, like, work in our community and things. I don't think we would have been able to do that no. before because we just would have been too uncomfortable and insecure. Um, and I think, yeah, if if it is something that you have had to deal with then it is important to address it um because otherwise it's just going to keep showing up in in other ways you mentioned therapy just then what was the trigger for you starting to go so Nats, maybe talk about um mixed bloom oh yeah 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 well i've i've been to a few therapy sessions um and Originally, that was all to do with kind of like grief and loss. But actually, I tried to talk about my identity in those sessions and it just did not. It did not work at all. Like I had um, I didn't have great experiences with therapy. Like I saw two different like white women and they just didn't get it at all. But I so then I reached out. Um, there's someone called Sarah. I can't remember Sarah's last name. Lotus. Uh, Lotus. And she does something called the Mixed Bloom Room. So it's not um it's not therapy, it's more like um kind of coaching, but it's this sort of eight-week course to basically look at identity and look at your mixedness and really explore that. Um and, and basically kind of like I guess um sort of breaking down this whole thing of like she talks about having like um what's it called I think it's like a mixed box and essentially like realizing that a lot of the times like we just box things away so much like, like we, everyone does you know there's things about us that we try and put away and we kind of um you know just push it under the bed and we don't deal with it and she kind of helped us like get that out under the bed and open the box and see what is in there to do with our like mixedness and like your identity and it was really powerful because it just made me realize how much I've like suppressed how much like my mixedness has even though it's been really you know there's definitely privileges that come with being mixed race especially if you're lighter skinned there's also elements where um, and we talk about this again, like the whole nuance thing of like, where do you, where do you fit? Who do you identify as? Like the question I used to get asked all the time is like, do you see yourself as like white or black? Like, are you more white or are you more black? And it's like, 
how is that even a question? Like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, I cannot, you know, even if I wanted to identify as white, I will never be racialized as white. I'm always going to be seen as black. It's just not even, it doesn't even make sense, you know. So just exploring all of that and realizing all the like damaging questions that I've been asked my whole life that have, you know, I guess being a part of who I am today and and you know why I think what I think so that was actually really incredible and it was really powerful yeah it does it really sounds like that and I was gonna ask you Mm. was it at the same time like validating yes so validating so validating because again like I think and maybe as well this partly is because of where we grew up but there was just no that there, there was no one you know there was no one that i apart from melby from the spice girls there wasn't anyone who looked like me and was talking about and was it talking about this kind of experience so to be able to be in a group like that with other people that have you know all from different backgrounds and heritages but with this you know you end up having the same sort of like um conversations and the same there um, are commonalities yeah commonalities um I think it was so validating and also just to be able to share things that sometimes you don't want to say out loud because it can be interpreted the wrong way or you know so yeah it was incredible but really important I think yeah I would suggest it to anyone really and was that was it called mixed bloom the mixed bloom room yeah brilliant so Naomi I know you know as we mentioned already identity is a key theme in the book um, for you, what would you say has been one of the most challenging times you faced with regards to that? Um, I think it's probably when I, it was probably gr- the growing up part and just feeling like I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. Natalie's six years younger than me. So when I was a teenager, she wasn't in a you know in the place to be able to have these kind of conversations we've got parents we can absolutely talk to it wasn't that we didn't have them but our our mum is white and our dad is black so they didn't understand what it was like to be of mixed heritage and then you know we had our our white family and then our black family and not much in between and so I think I did often feel like I wasn't sure where I where I belonged and like I said I spent a lot of time trying to kind of assimilate and be like my friends and you know be like people that I liked in the media who actually were all white because there was very little representation um and I guess it's only in the last few years that I've felt much more comfortable in who I am and really when I decided that you know because people obviously say like what are you and you know how do you identify I always used to say I'm mixed race I'm mixed race and now I much prefer to say I'm black mixed race and for me that is a bit of a turning point I think in how I feel just so much more comfortable Um, and meeting as well people who are of mixed heritage um, 
you know, with brown skin who say I'm black and they're really comfortable in that. And that for me was such a revelation Mm -hmm. because even like when the Black Lives Matter movement started Mm -hmm. and obviously it didn't start two years ago, it started long before that. So when it very first started, I remember Natalie saying, are we, are we in the Black Lives Matter? Like, it, does that apply to us as well? And that is how kind of that they were the kind of thoughts and feelings that we were sitting with. There's two things I want to pick up on with what you just said. Um, so the first thing is to Natalie, at that time when you was having those sort of questions, what was it that was triggering those questions? Was it comments from other people or was it your own experience making you feel like you didn't feel validated in, in being vocal on what was going on? Yeah, um, I think it was um, a mixture of both. And I think I started to want to understand my identity because there was, I had so many questions, but I didn't have the answers. So I was like, where do I find the answers? Like, who (laughs) do I talk to about that? And even talking to Naomi, you didn't have the answers either. So it was yeah. kind of like, we were just going, oh, I don't, I don't really know. And then it was actually when I picked up um, why I no longer talk to white people about race. And when I read that book, that changed my life because I was like, oh my goodness, this is the first book I've read where I feel seen and heard and I understand history a bit more. Like there were just so much, so many things that I learned. You know, I left school thinking, oh my gosh, yeah, like the British, we like abolish like slavery. How amazing are we? Like, and then suddenly like reading these books going, okay, that's totally a lie and we are just not good people. But, you know, so reading that and then even like, obviously it was, the the sort of black British experience, but even Rene Ido Lodge, like um including like mixed race in that dialogue was like life changing for me. And that's when I was like, right, I need the answers to this because this is wild. We cannot be the only ones asking these questions or, you know, thinking these things. So that's when I was like, are we part of the Black Lives Matter movement? Are you know, is this, like, who do we identify as? And that's when we, you know, I started doing a lot more research. And that's when I said to Nay, like, we need to write this book. There's like, there's no books, like no one writes about this. Like, this is why this needs to happen. I actually interviewed um, Yasmin Evans, who used to be a presenter on One Extra, and she's now on, um, I think it's Heart? Um, Heart, yeah. She, when I interviewed her, this, this is actually something that came up in the conversation, and she had a similar experience to not feeling black enough when um, the Black Lives Matter movement was going on and getting a lot of backlash when she was speaking out and using her platform. Mm. So I just wanted to ask you, just, you know, again, with what you were saying, when you had these thoughts and these considerations, what was your conclusion at the end? Well, I think my conclusion at the end is that we are a part of this movement. We are black enough. Like, yes, as I said before, we 
like, well, me and Naomi, because we are like lighter skin, we we do hold privilege and we completely understand that. And that's a, another thing that we have really like been processing and learning so much more about and understanding how colorism works and how yeah. we've benefited from that. And, you know, there's, we talk again, we talk about that in the book. There's a whole chapter about when I li- moved and lived in Jamaica and I really understood there how it manifests and like oh okay but at the end of the day I am still a black mixed race woman I still experience racism I still experience prejudice so yes there are elements of my life that are are better because I'm closest to whiteness but I still have those same experiences yeah and also like when you know you experience racism people aren't doing some sort of dna test on you or Mm. doing some sort of background check to see what your heritage is it just goes on what you look like that's like the first thing that people do so you know that we talk about privilege but I think that we kind of fling that word around a lot without really looking at the nuances of what that means. And that's why I think it's so important that when we talk about race and racism, we also have to recognise that there are other things that come into it, like class, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, and also, like I was saying, about where you've grown up. Mm-hmm. Because here, if you are in... Um, the minority which we were people weren't going oh well you know you've got a white parent so therefore we're going to be less racist to you you were just the only black people around you were the darkest person that that person they they didn't know anyone else so you you were the one that got it and you know and and I think we don't really look into that enough and we don't really talk about that enough It is a very kind of specific experience when you're growing up in these really, really white majority areas. And so you would get these wild comments from people. You know, you'd just be talking, you know, talking to someone and they would literally ask you, oh, so where are you from? And you'll be like, oh, I'm from Margate. And you know what they really mean. You know that they're not asking (laughs) where are you from. So you'll just be like, oh, yeah, I'm from here, Margate. And they're like, no, no, where are you like really from? So what they're actually asking you is, why aren't you white? What, you know, where do you get your colour from? That's what they want to know. And sometimes if I was feeling like it, I'd just continue to say I'm from Margate until they kind of got frustrated. And then other times, <laughs> and other times I'd be like, oh, well, my dad's Jamaican. Because yeah. that's actually what you want to know. And you mentioned um, light skin privilege a moment ago. When did you guys first realise that that was something that actually applied to you? Mm, I think for me, I remember talking a bit about it with my mum. And she, I remember we were having a conversation where we were talking about um, like white privilege and like white supremacy. It was such a random conversation. I don't know why we talk about it. And then I remember her talking about like colorism. I was like, oh, okay. And that was when I was like a teenager. But then I don't think I realized it until, so when I was 20, I moved to Jamaica and I lived there for like um, just under a year, like working and um, getting to know my family and stuff. And it was then that I realized 
how kind of light skin privilege works and how colorism like manifests because I realized that I was able to move in spaces that I shouldn't have been able to move in. Um, I remember like getting a job at a hotel and I remember a woman who worked there, she was essentially my boss and she hated me from the from day one. And I I can't really remember how it um, actually happened, but by the, sort of the end, I realized, well, sort of the middle of like working there, I realized that she thought that I was going to take her job. And I remember, I remember saying to someone like why does she think that I'm going to take her job I'm not even qualified to do her job I'm 20 like this doesn't make any sense and um I think it was my dad's girlfriend at the time yeah it was it was 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 incredible and she said like Nats it's it's because you're you're like you're browning you know you're a lighty you you know, you would mm. be able to get her job. And I was like, what? And she's, you know, and she explained everything to me. And and obviously, like, when I was out there, I realised that I would get a lot of attention from a lot of the guys out there, you know, like, walking down the road. It was kind of like a a big deal, you know, to be with, like, a, well, they say browning out there. So, um, but it was such an interesting contrast because growing up, here no one wanted to date me like no one looked twice at me like literally because it was you know everyone wanted the blonde hair blue eye like skinny girl no one wanted like me so it was just this wild experience it was absolutely wild but then obviously like Mm. as I looked into it more I was like right this makes a lot of sense and then I think when the whole thing with Meghan Markle happened that again was another element of Right, okay, so it was kind of, you know, colorism that put, got Megan into the royal family, but it was racism that drove her out, you know, and actually that whole kind of, that was just such an interesting dynamic, watching that all unfold, and even that, is she black, is she mixed, you know, is she, you know, everyone just debating about that. And, you know, speaking about privilege and staying on that topic for a bit, there's two questions I want to ask. Um, so the first one is, in what ways do you use your privilege to advocate for change? And then the second one, because I know you do the anti-racism training, is in what ways do you think white people can use their privilege for change? So I think we try and make sure that we have a balance of, we know that we are able to talk about racism because we've experienced it. And we know that like we're able to communicate um like things people often say you communicate things really clearly like through your platform like you explain things and we understand them and things so we're like we use the skills that we've got but equally we try and share our platform Mm -hmm. so we're not just trying to like promote this is us this is what we do and this is you know to benefit us and people have often said like you know if they've sent us stuff to share or they want to collaborate on things or whatever they're like oh god like you're you're up for it and we're like yeah because we've created this platform for all of us like it's not about trying to benefit our own agenda um and of course like yeah we're also trying to make a living and pay the bills but essentially like 
we're driven by seeing change and that change isn't just to benefit us it's to benefit all of the community Mm. so I think yeah we do try and always you know question what we're doing question whose voices we're sharing like making sure that it's not just about us and I think Instagram and like social media is very much driven by individualism you know it's about individuals um profiting and and making money and and getting their voices heard and and it's hard because you can very easily be sucked into that Mm. but yeah we're we're kind of we're just trying to keep that balance um which I hope people kind of yeah can see that we're trying to make sure that that's happening um and then in terms of Again, I think the word privilege, you know, there is nuance in it because um, it depends what privileges we're talking about, you know, because we kind of say that, you know, white people have privilege, but we need to think about what what is that privilege? So um, we all have different privileges, you know. No, definitely. And it's like, you know, we have you know, we, for example, we don't have a disability. So there's things about our life, which is so much easier for us compared to other people. Um, But in terms of like, when it comes to racism, I think that there has to be a responsibility with, with all of us, but because of the power dynamics and the power structures, which we know, there are, you know, like Nova Reed yesterday, she, on her Instagram, she put out a post about publishing, right? And like when we first um, got our book deal and we went up to London and went to the publishing offices, I could not believe how white that building was. Really? Like literally what you see, especially like post 2020, you know, all these kind of many more black books being published, many more black authors. And you think, oh, yeah, good. That's good. Like lots of changes coming. When you actually look at who's behind the scenes on all of this stuff, it is still so white led. So that was a bit of an eye opener for us. So I'm like, okay, what is going on behind the scenes? Because actually that's really important. Like representation is important, but what's going on behind and those power dynamics are really important. Yeah. And so I think in terms of how can people use their privilege in those areas, it's like people have got to recognise that it's not just about putting black and brown people on the front of stuff. Mm. It's about what's going on behind the scenes and until people really start addressing that things aren't going to actually change for the benefit of everyone it will just change for a few people like a few people are doing well now great that's good for them but I'm interested in like you know the young people I'm interested in like the black people that are living in absolute poverty like how how are things changing for them not just you know for a few of us so um there is absolutely a responsibility on white people to to learn like what what how does racism show up like 
what how am I perpetuating this with maybe not even not realizing it there is a responsibility for people to learn and educate themselves for sure and we've never had so many resources to be able to do that but equally I do think it's about all of us because if we all work together if we've you know if we it can't just be driven by white people it has to be all of us for the change to actually come Mm -hmm. and we've spoken about um family dynamics quite loosely throughout the conversation um but I just wanted to go into that a little bit more and ask you you know whether it whether or not it's direct experience or comment around the Black Lives Matter movement how have you managed to navigate racism within your own family yeah it's been um interesting we um Again, we do a whole chapter on racist family members um, and um, it kind of starts with the fact that um, while kind of in 2020 all the the Black Lives Matter movement was like happening, I got a message from my uncle basically sort of saying like, you know, stop using the race card like it was like this meme with this like white beauty queen on it being like stop using the race card you know like ridiculous um and it was my mum's brother and I remember just being like oh gosh here we go you know (laughs) now it starts because obviously we'd started doing everyday racism and sharing stuff and he was obviously seeing that um but what was really good is my mum when I told my mum she was like you do not do anything you leave it to me and she you know spoke to him and basically was like unless you apologize you know don't want anything to do with you and we've never spoken since so oh so you um, actually didn't apologize no, 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 nothing. We had nothing. Like there was just no, there was no awareness. He just didn't think he'd done anything wrong. He was just kind of like, you know, whatever. Um, so we've been, I guess in our family, we've we've been quite lucky in the sense that yeah. our mum is pretty incredible. And she's very much like, I will obviously never understand But I think because her and my dad, they went through so much, they faced so much racism as an interracial couple in like the 1970s, 80s. She's very much like, I won't understand, but I can see how it shows up. And she's always been really open to talking like nothing's off the table. Mm. And she does absolutely like read and listen and watch stuff. So she's, you know, she's, educated herself yeah um so that's been really helpful for us obviously not everybody has that experience um our closest family um yeah they are very kind of open to talking um and we haven't had anything from them I think we've always felt very loved yeah and, and accepted by them um on both both sides of our family but um yeah, I think sometimes you do just also not go there with people yeah, yeah, because you think, well, actually, that's safer. If we don't have these difficult conversations, then we're not going to hear difficult things and you just kind of keep it on a certain level. I expect, like, lots of people do that with their friends as well because they're not sure what people are going to say. So actually... And how they might respond. Exactly. And also, I guess sometimes what they might say might make you have to reflect and be accountable for your own actions yeah whether it be subconscious or conscious yeah Yeah. that's right but I do know 
of people who are in um, of mixed heritage and they have really difficult situations with their own family even their own parents and that's a point that we make is that when you are mixed heritage there is the risk or the chance that your family might be racist and they might not recognize that Mm. or want to take any kind of action to change that and that must be horrendous you know Mm -hmm. and that's something that I think people don't really talk about is you can't just then say oh well well you can but not many people are going to say well I just won't talk to you anymore then I just mum I'm not going to see you anymore you don't get that in monoracial families this is like that is again like a nuance of the experience of being mixed race Thank you guys so much for joining me on the podcast today. I've I've learned a lot and I've definitely got a lot of food for thought for, I guess, a lot of my friends, my families. I've got a younger cousin who's in year 11 or 12. No, not year 11 or 12. I've got a younger cousin who is 11 or 12. Um, she's in year seven and she's mixed race. Um, and I think, you know, I'm never going to understand fully what the experience is like. But I think through reading your book, through having this conversation, and I guess through talking to other people, I'll be able to hopefully have more conversations with her from a perspective of of a greater understanding um, and be able to support her more. Because I think when you're black and when someone's black mixed, or they call themselves black and they're mixed, for example, it kind of does feel like it's a level playing ground, it's the same. But, you know, in talking to you with you guys today, you realise that it's not. There's so many other layers um, that you as a black individual might not even consider or think about because that's not the experience that you had growing up. Um, so, yeah, I really, really thank you for this book and for this conversation. And for anyone who's listening, we will be doing a giveaway of our, on our book of this book on our Instagram page so you can check it out. Thank, thank you so you. much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. And we will keep all the important links in the description.